to paraphrase the person who normally is up here at this time, I'm John, and it's your privilege that I am not your pastor from week to week. Uh, yeah, Luke and Joanne are gone uh, for this Sunday, and, uh, and the coming week they're at a training conference in Indiana, and so um, we want to bless them today and, and this coming week, and, and uh, they'll be back for next Sunday. Uh, today we're, we're privileged to have uh, Wes and Michelle here. I'll say a little bit more about them later on. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, we're still kind of looking for a, um, a substitute, a fill-in for uh, Lisa in the, sec in the church office, uh, secretary position. So if you are interested or have, um, it, talk to Luke. It, it may not have to look exactly, you know, with ours the way it is uh, with Lisa now, but uh, talk, to, talk to Luke. We're still in need. Uh, tomorrow, um, we're going to join Verna Buller's family in celebrating her life, and uh, that's at 10 a.m. service here at Graveside at 9.15. Remember the waffles, uh, the waffle fundraiser that uh, the, the church youth are, are doing today. And uh, it's a free will offering af right after the service. So come and it smells good. The, all the toppings look great too. So do that. Um, there's some, I think maybe in the bulletin or somewhere, there's some MCC sale needs. Uh, if you haven't put that on your, on your uh, calendar yet, that's March 27 and 28. And uh, when we've had, um, you know, uh, church events that have been canceled um, in our house, if, we're, if Helen and I are together, three phones ring at the same time that tells us, oh, it's the church calling. <laughs> because we've got our both of our cell phones and our home phone all on the call them all, so um, so events that um, we we know that there might be some people who are not uh, getting those. And if but if you'd like to have uh, a call um, that notifies you about special events, we don't overload that or. Especially cancellations, we try to inform you about that. So this is going to go around, and if you want to add or correct a, uh, a number, that can that can be done. So um, I'll I'm going to start that down here, and so pass it around during the service, and I'll try to bring it to the to the uh, family center afterwards too. Let's join now as the as the worship team leads us in, in prayer. Please stand with us. I'm going to read from Ezekiel, and it says, I will put a new way of thinking inside of you, and I will take out the stubborn hearts of stone from your bodies, and I will give you obedient hearts of flesh. I will put my spirit inside of you and help you live by my rules and carefully obey my laws. And Jesus is the one that changes us, and he makes us new, just like what Pastor Luke said a couple weeks ago. We're not sinners saved by grace. We are a new creation. And I'm very thankful that God makes us new and he continues to make us new and never stops. 
So let's praise our awesome God.
Lord, we just trust you to invade our lives with your spirit, God, that you will change us, that you will renew us, that you will revive us. God, help us to press deep into you each day. We need you more than we need ever even know. I thank you that you are the king and cornerstone, the solid rock that is our future. You may be seated.
as we pray, prepare for the offering, I, I also want to enter in time of, into a time of prayer. Um, we have, uh, as mentioned, uh, Luke and Joanne are gone, so let's pray for them as they're gone, and that this time will be a will be um, a time of enrichment and learning for them. Um, there are a lot of people with health needs. Um, I think Lavier or Revere is going to be having knee knee surgery on Tuesday morning. So in Aurora, I say let's do and, and pray for them. Um, Chuck Block is in his sixth day of a week of having his head down to uh, repair a detached retina. So um, besides the healing, I don't know if I would like to have my head down, but I do. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> that's that's a tough thing. Plus, you know, the pain of having to keep yourself in one spot and it's something that none of us would prefer. <clears throat> and there are many other things probably throughout this congregation. Each of us have have uh, many things that we could, uh, in a day where we could say, thank you, God, for this or that. <coughs> or, God, I need your help. Or something really that I'm working through. So, um, one of those needs is, uh, you know, the family of them up um, and those who are getting ready for that service tomorrow. Um, the Millers um, in Germany, let's pray for them as they uh, continue to have opportunity to minister in a, um, in a multicultural Germany and uh, so um, great opportunities there as they go as leaders and, and uh, minister to people. Um, pray for the Koreans too as they're um, seeking discernment and wisdom as in, in their lives. And so um, let's just take a little silent time and, and then I'll close. God, we come to you, and, and first of all, we, we thank you for your love, your love that um, sent Jesus to the world to show that love and to redeem us. So we thank you for it. We thank you for that great love, and, and Jesus is obedience in, in being the sacrifice. He was, uh, he died for us that life could spring forth from that seed that was in him. We thank you for, for your word. We thank you for your spirit also is um, available and present and working uh, in ways that we don't always see but we can just know that you are there through your spirit. So 
week um, as we have celebrations, let us be thankful. As we have needs, um, as the, the, the health needs and the loss of, of, of family members and friends that we've talked about, we just offer those up to you in, in thanksgiving and, and appreciation for your, for your, your care for us. We also pray for those who minister uh, on our behalf, uh, for the Millers and, and the Kleins and um, the one in Hector from the, from the Wilmer, from West Wilmer today, and all those people who, who are extensions of, of our ministry here in Lake Shore. We thank you for that, and we pray for uh, your will to be done. Call upon your name. 
ocean drives my soul rest in your embrace for i am yours you Thank you, Kayla Gibson. Thank you. Um, as you know, or you may know, that most of our um, most of our offerings, unless they're designated for something special, there's a portion that goes to supporting and, and extending our ministry beyond uh, either to education or other kinds of missions or ministry. And and um, it's always great to have somebody here that's a beneficiary and tells us, shows us a little bit about what's happening with that money that we send away. And uh, uh, today we have uh, Wes and Michelle Wilmer and their daughter, Delaney. Is that right? Okay. They're from, uh, they're starting a new church in, uh, it's in the very beginning stages, a kind of maybe a gathering stage yet. We've we've kept up with the querings, and we know that you know there's a lot of relationship building that takes place before you just plop down and say we are a church. So um, they're in that process right now. They're natives of uh, of Fremont, and that's where they are, Fremont, Nebraska, and uh, that's where they're starting a church with the uh, uh, mostly through uh, the Central District. that we are part of, and so our support goes out. Uh, Wes has uh, been doing some teaching at Grace uh, University and is working with the uh, Stony Brook uh, uh, Church in Millard, Millard, or somewhere there, Millard, and so um, we're blessed to have you here this morning and hear from you. Here with you guys. Am I on? Good morning. Yeah, my wife and I, uh, many years ago, we left uh, Fremont in 1998 to, for me to go to college. I left my career to go and pursue a degree to, that would set me up to be a pastor and be hireable and employable and maybe have some skills that I didn't have as a new Christian to go and do things like I'm doing now. And when we left, we said we would never go back to Fremont. And here we are. So we're back in Fremont. Um, it's really good to be with you guys. I met Jason and Nicole when I was in California at the National MB Conference, um, where I met many people that I had never met before. And they were people that I actually got to sit at a table with and talk to. And so I feel like I know you in some way. And, and it's really cool that somebody from among you went someplace else to take the good news of Jesus where it's not taking hold. And that's what we're trying to do in our community. Let me pray for us as we start, and I'll introduce myself a little more and then talk about what we want to talk about this morning. God, you are good. You are always in life and always available and always near. 
and always calling us to participate in what you're doing. But there's still something special about coming together as a family on Sunday morning to turn our hearts to you again, corporately and not just as individuals. We come together to simply to worship you and to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray this morning that your word would just uh, speak loudly to our hearts, that spirit you would stir in us new life, deeper life, life that would move towards others that need to hear about you and to see you put on display in everyday life, that they might come to know you too. Um, Just have your way here this morning. Do what you want to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're, we're definitely in the gathering stage. We meet on Wednesday nights in Fremont and have a small group of people that we meet with, and we're building other relationships. And, you know, late this spring, early this summer, we'll probably start moving towards a worship gathering where we're able to do some of that. But at the moment, it's, it's definitely a place of just kind of building. And so we'd appreciate your guys' prayers and, and partnership moving forward as you, as you think of of God doing new things in the world and that kind of thing, be praying for us. We could really use it, just that God would uh, open doors of opportunity for us, would provide relationships for us that that aren't just us trying to force something. We don't want to build something that God's not going before us and doing. And we just, uh, we, we need your prayers, we need your partnership, and are grateful to be here just to get to know you this morning. We'll be in Matthew 9 this morning, and verses 9 through 13. And I I have to confess, the reason we're going here this morning is because one of the things I saw as a professor at a Christian university is that uh, as I was around Christian students all the time and other Christian faculty, I began to see something about myself that that God revealed to me through this process of being called to plant a church um, as we were part of Stony Brook Church and and I was working at Grace. Um, And one of the things I began to see was I didn't look at people and have the same desires that God had to move towards people in the world who didn't know him. Now, I did have a desire to do that, and I did love God and want to be involved in what he's doing, but in some way, my heart had begun to um, move away from God reaching people that are far from him in the world. And so as a, as a church planter, trying to reach people who don't know him yet, it's been a, a culture shock for me to kind of get back into the world and to meet my neighbors or other people who don't speak like Christians speak, who don't do the things that Christians do. And I began to see not just that I was insulated in some way by the reality of my job, but I began to see that my heart isn't fully like God's, even though I'm a new creation and I've got this new heart that I've got to learn better what it means to live that life, to let that heart be what drives me and and what gets me out of bed in the morning and which pushes me to do whatever I do. I remember this time when I was young, and I was in high school, not young, young like a kid, but I was in high school and I met this girl and I'm married to her now. Her name's Michelle. And we met in high school through some friends of ours and began to date and one of the things that I began to do was take an interest in going to church. Um, it wasn't because I had all this, uh, that, that God was doing something that was obvious to me and I needed to go to church to figure it out. It was simply gave me an opportunity to be with Michelle and to pursue her in relationships. So this guy who didn't grow up in church, right, and who was like the complete opposite, whatever the picture, you know, the poster child of the youth group at your church, picture whatever boy or girl that is, I was the complete opposite of that 
kid. So if we could even show them to me. But I was the opposite of that. Very different. And I remember going to church, again, not to be with God or God's people, but to be with a girl that I wanted to pursue and I wanted to get to know more. And it was just another opportunity. But yet, looking back, I see God moving in my life and doing things. But that wasn't the reason, and that wasn't primary at the time. And I remember a couple things. There, were, were, there was this reality that happened to get me to go there that was, uh, there, there was a real barrier there. And one, it was my uncomfortableness with God and not knowing anything about church or the Bible or those kinds of things. But it was more than that, a scary thing for me to step in because I always felt like Christians looked at me in a certain way. And they looked down on me because of what I did or didn't do. And they had a lot of reason to. I did a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing as a teenage boy. And my life was caught up in things. And I had a reputation that, that was justified. And that they had good reason to, to be cautious of this boy, being around their kids even. But I, I felt a coldness and often a judgmentalness from, from other Christians that made me really hesitant to step into a church, even though I wanted to be with Michelle. So I thought when I came into the church, what I fully expected and received was people who were kind of standoffish with me. The people that, that, for a couple reasons, one being that I was a jerk to their kid, probably in science class, and loved to debate the idea of God and the belief in God and those kinds of things and how silly it was. So in some ways I gave them reason, but in other ways they were simply judging me because I wasn't like them. Because I didn't believe the same things they did. Didn't look like them, didn't talk like them. And so some people were standoffish because I wasn't one of them. And now who is this guy? What's he doing here? They're really skeptical of this non-Christian kid with this reputation and why he's there. But another thing happened was there was this guy that came over. And the first time I was there, I still remember it. And another guy followed him. But the first guy that came over towards me, and I saw, and, and in some way I probably thought to take me out of the church, was a guy named Don. When Don walked towards me, though, it wasn't in judgment. It wasn't in wanting to confront something in me. It, it was to welcome me. It was to love me. And I remember the first time as I came into this church, as somebody who hadn't been in church hardly at all before, to have this guy, this old farmer in my community, come up to me and give me the biggest hug and say, Wes, I'm glad you're here. Wes, I'm glad you're here. And another guy named Bob followed. And every week, as much as I look forward to being with Michelle, even though it took going to church to do it, I love to have Don and Bob come and just give me this big hug of welcome. And what it began to do was melt things in my heart, maybe even about who God was, that maybe because Don and Bob welcomed me and loved me right where I was, maybe this, maybe this God does too. I think Don and Bob are a lot like God. And this morning as we look at this story, I think you'll see the same with the story that you're very familiar with as well as I am. So we'll read the text this morning. And it says this, starting in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, 
Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We see this calling of Matthew. Right away in the story, we're we're faced with this, that Matthew was sitting in a tax collector's booth. Now, I think sometimes we sell this short that when when Jesus calls this guy, if if you're Christian and have any background in the Bible, you, you have some understanding that a tax collector is bad. Before I knew Jesus and and had any understanding of Scripture, I wouldn't have known that at all. I wouldn't have known, why is a tax collector bad? Or maybe even the depth to why he was seen as bad. But for Jesus to call, uh, go to the tax collector's booth, and then to call this guy and following me, he'll call just about anybody. What we need to understand about this tax collector is, is deeper than maybe what we often think. Sometimes how we describe a tax collector, how we'd think of Matthew in that day, was here's how it worked, right? Like for us, tax collector doesn't even work. It wouldn't even be that controversial for Jesus if he were to come today and call somebody who works for the IRS. We, we don't see the IRS. They don't come to our house and take our money, although they take a lot of our money. But we don't see it. We don't feel it the same way. But the way it happened in this time was there were tax collectors in every community. So Rome had this huge empire. Rome at the time that Jesus was born was huge. It was like all of Europe. So Europe's here coming across the map, coming down to the Middle East, and then coming across back underneath Europe to northern Africa. Like all that space in a time where travel was really hard. They didn't have buses, airplanes. It was you walked and you rode horses and you did other things. And, and so what would happen was this. Rome, to fund that whole empire, had to collect taxes from people. So the way they would do it was this. They'd hire a tax collector in the community. In every city, they'd hire one. And his job was to work for Rome, to work for Caesar, and get money for Caesar to keep this whole huge kingdom going. And the ways they would do it would be like this. They'd come to you, and they would tell you what you owed, and they would take... Not just what you owed, but they would take a cut for themselves, right? And if you have any Bible knowledge and any understanding of this story, which you do, I'm sure most of you, it, 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 it is a, that's kind of where we leave it. That he took a few extra bucks from people. Like he's that kind of guy. He steals from people that, that money that's not rightfully his. And he did it. But for a Jewish person in this culture, it was more scandalous than that, this guy that Jesus was calling to him. He didn't just steal a few dollars from them that was above and beyond what he should have taken. That was Rome's. What, what Rome would do to, to kind of make that whole kingdom work was they had a military that was just enormous. They had to, right? To conquer other lands, you'd have to have a large military. So they had this huge military, and what they did was they conquered land, but then to keep all this military going, they had to collect lots of taxes. So now you've got a couple things at work here. That, that here you've got these Jewish people, which we'll get to the Pharisees in a minute. They're, they're the representation of this. That, that the Jewish people, even Matthew has this Jewish background. But, but the Jewish people were, were kind of oppressed in this empire. They were told you could do certain things, but you can't do everything you'd want to do. You're not autonomous. You're not on your own. You're going to live the way Caesar wants you to live. 
you do everything he says. And the way Caesar had his way in his, in his whole kingdom was this, was that he would do it by force. So his military was brutal. They would beat people. They would kill people. It would not be uncommon for you to drive from one town to another and see dead people strewn along the side of the road. It was brutal. It was violent. It was oppressive. So think about it. Be around this community that, where these people lived, and that's the reality. And now you've got this tax collector, right? He's the guy who has taken the money from you to fund that whole regime that is so oppressive to you. Not only that, this isn't a Roman guy that's doing it. This is one of you. This is one of you. The equivalent may be, like, we get up in arms right now, and we should, when we hear about an American that in some way is helping out the Taliban. It's like that scandalous. You know, how could they? How could this guy go and now participate in this thing that is hurting his family and his country and the people he knows and the people he grew up with and loves and the way of life that he's been involved in? Jesus calls that kind of guy, Matthew. It's worse than he just took a few dollars from people. This guy traded from his people and his nation to participate in what Rome was doing and to make a lot of money to do it. Jesus says to this guy, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? That, that I had to tell you, I, you know, going back to my first kind of experience in this church, I feel kind of like I was Matthew to these people. I feel like I was this guy that because of the things I did in my life, and, and maybe some of it was just my perceptions of things, but I felt like Matthew, and I think a lot of people do too, that they're like the worst of the worst, and God would never call them. But he called Matthew. He called him, and he said, come and follow me. There's a place for you in what I'm doing in my kingdom there's a place for you in, in the plans that God has for the world where you will live with him right now and forever, but you'll also participate in what he's doing in the world to further this kingdom. There's a place for you. There's a place for everybody. Matthew's not beyond that. This follow me language is rabbi language. It's, it's language Jewish people would have known. For Jesus to say, follow me, he's telling them to come and learn what I, I'm going to teach you about God. Come and learn how to live with with my father as I as come and live with my father as I live with my father. I want to teach you this. This abundant life that God has given me, I want to give it to you. And sinners were really drawn to this. That the people that were most drawn to Jesus were the sinners. The people that found the miraculous healings, the people that found the that came to him and you know even if he walked by and would touch his robe and and find some it, it was it was the sinners like the worst of the the worst of the worst that that loved Jesus and i shared with you a, a confession that while i've worked at grace and over the last years of my life even as a pastor or whatever else i don't know that i'm like jesus in that way you know think of the worst of the worst in henderson and the the area are the worst of the worst drawn to you? They're not to me. But God wants them to be. God wants me when he says, follow me, and I chose to follow him, what he wanted to do was make me like him, that I would represent him in the world, and one of the ways I'm going to do it is by how I relate to the worst of the worst in my community. 
And he wants to do the same for you. So he calls Max, Matthew this tax collector. And not only does he call him and follow him, he goes to his house that night, and the story goes on, and it says, Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. We're dining with Jesus and his disciples. So they began to be known as these guys who would go to the worst of the worst, and they would strike up a friendship with them. That's really what dinner is about in this culture, was about friendship. That to have dinner, to invite yourself to somebody's house, which is what Jesus is doing in this story, is, is he's wanting to have friendship with him. He's telling Matthew, this one who was a Jewish guy growing up, traded to be with Rome, was kind of excluded from the things of the temple and, and the good graces of the rabbis and the other leaders, the, the religious teachers. Jesus is saying to him, I want to be friends with you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want you to know me. I want you to have all that the Father has for you. Come and follow me. Let me come to your house and have dinner with you. What would it look like for you and for me to be those kinds of people that that trust Jesus so much that his way is best and his yoke is easy? And if we do the things he does, we find that we taste and we see that they're good. I wonder what it would look like for us if we became more like Jesus in this. And to the outcast and the worst of the worst in our community, we began to find ways to be friends with them. It's one of the things I'm trying to do in Fremont. We're trying to do as a family is figure out how do we put ourselves out there, not with people who are already well. We don't want to start this new church and just get a bunch of Christians from other churches. That's not our goal, although a few Christians have come with us. But not because... We're, we're asking them to come more that they're drawn to the same thing we're drawn to and want to go reach people and be good news in our community. But when I say that, I, I, I have to say I'm learning to do that more. I'm not an expert at this, but I want to be. I want to get better at it. I was at a conference last summer, and I remember when the guy asked a question, he was talking about the same kind of thing. And he said this, he asked the question, he said, what degree of lost person are you okay with? Think about that question. What degree of lost are you okay with? What he's asking is, what degree of sinfulness are you willing to move towards? What type of sinner? Would you, would you move towards Matthew? Or would you move to somebody a little cleaner, a little safer? And that's a really important question to ask. And I have to tell you, I wish I could say if, if 10 is the top end of the scale, I, I feel like as a pastor I should say a 10, and I, I wish I could say a 10, but I'm not a 10. Man, I don't even know if I'm a 5. If I really think about it, if I think about the worst of the worst in Fremont and what it would look like to go and be friends with them and to dine at a table and eat with them and be patient with them and trust that God wants to do something amazing in their life and calling them to himself and transform them and making them a new creation too, to what degree am I willing to do that? I want to do it more. But I feel like sometimes I'm not as much like Jesus as I am like the next people we see in this story. It says this, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Why is he so obsessed with them? Why is he 
Why does he always find a way to be around them? What's he see in them? Why, why is he doing it? You see, they're the religious leaders of the temple. They're the ones who should have it figured out, like the pastor up here who says he should be a 10. And they say, why is he doing that? You know, I, th- I think that question is what the Pharisees hated more than anything. What the Pharisees hated more than anything else Jesus did was that he dined with sinners. They say it over and over again. This isn't the only time they say it. If you read all through Matthew, you'd see it a bunch of times. Why is he with them? Why is he with her? Why is he eating with him? Why did he do that with them? You see, they had this way of sitting up, setting up a religious system where they began to live in a way that all that mattered was outward behavior and some sort of belief system. That if you just believe the right things about God, and if you just do the right moral things, don't drink, don't chew, don't smoke, don't go with girls who do, right? Those kind of things. They kind of set up a system like that. And they, if, if you did it right, you were really good and you were in God's graces. But if you didn't do it right, you were obviously outside of God's favor and didn't deserve the love of God. I think I live that way too often. I live like I have this, this rule book that God has given me. And he says, Wes, I'm really pleased with you when you live like this. Like I love you more when you live like this. But I love you less if you don't. But the truth is this, the reason God loves me the way he does and the way I can come before him as his child isn't because of anything I've done except responded to his son Jesus and said, Jesus, you are my only hope. You're the only thing I'm trusting. I'm not turning to anything else. So God, would you help me to live in your love and to live in relationship with you? You've given me this new heart and this new life as Luke preached about a couple weeks ago, I heard. Help me to live that out in response to your love, which is perfect and which gives me security. I don't have to perform. I don't have to perform before you. I don't have to perform in front of others. I can actually now love others right where they are. Not looking down on them like the Pharisees did and saying, why is your teacher eating with them? But I might actually become like him and go and join the party and say, God, I want to eat with them too. Jesus points at something here. When Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. You see, the people Jesus came for were people that knew they were sick. If you act like you're not sick, he doesn't force himself on you to heal you. But if you admit you're sick and you need healing, that's the person God moves to. And Matthew, regardless of who he was before that moment, was at a place where he responded to Jesus' invitation to find healing and wholeness and life and be brought back to God, and he did it. That's all he did, and that's all Jesus calls for is that, is for people to do just that. But he goes on and he finishes it with this. It says, but go and learn what this means. And now he's speaking to the Pharisees, right? And that's what I want to see. I want to help us see too, is that whether I'm like Jesus, and I I have this love for sinners, or I don't, maybe I'm more like the Pharisees. Although Jesus confronts the Pharisees over and over, he does it in a spirit of love, although he's very strong sometimes, wanting them to turn to God and be brought back to him and to enter into this new life and be this new creation that he makes them. So it says, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion 
and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. See, they were really good at sacrifice. But they were really good at sacrifice in a way that was sacrificing things and doing things, all that they could have some good right standing before God. What they weren't experiencing was God's compassion because they didn't understand they needed God's compassion. They thought they could earn something with God based on what they did that didn't require anything beyond that. But what we do when we come to know Jesus is we realize from that moment forward to live as this new creation, it starts with the compassion of God. That he moves towards broken people. He moves towards lost people and he finds them. He moves towards death and he brings life. And the only way to live in that is to rest and to stand on the compassion of God. The grace of God. Finding forgiveness and an invitation to abundant life. And what, the, what hadn't penetrated the Pharisee's heart was their need for the compassion of God. What he wanted them to experience was the compassion of God. And I think in this, he's offering it to them. And he said, well, I, I just wish you'd see my father's compassion for you. I wish you'd just see his love for you and you'd turn to it and you'd quit thinking he's demanding all this other stuff from you that you could earn some favor with him or whatever else. I wish you'd quit judging others because they don't live up to your standards. Would you just turn back to me? John, in the book of 1 John, said it differently. He said, uh, we love because he first loved us. See, if they would taste of his compassion, if they would taste of his love, they could then respond in love. They could love others because they'd been loved. But I think what happens so often, and going back to that question, if we don't answer it rightly, if, we don't, if, we, if we're not honest about it, you know, if we answer that question, and, or if you guys even corporately as a church answered the question, to what degree of lost people is Henderson MB open to? To what degree are you open to? If we don't answer that and live it out in an authentic way, what begins to happen is this. What the Pharisees did was they would offer people bread, they would say, come and know this God, right? But then it was like they'd switch it and they'd give them a stone. Because they entered, they put them in this way of life that just wasn't life-giving and wasn't healthy. And that they would kick them out and spit them out or whatever because they couldn't do it. What would it look like to offer people bread and to actually give them bread? Like they, we could patiently love them and be friends with them. Trusting that God loves them more than we do. And he's working in ways we don't even know. What if we understood the compassion of God more, that we could actually extend the compassion, that same compassion to other people? I think it would look a lot like <clears throat> this, that we would begin to... Uh, one of the things I, I love is Jesus says at the end of his ministry, right? He says to the, the disciples when he is with them, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we do that well in some ways. We have these missionary movements. We plant churches and we do all this stuff. But one of the things I think this passage helps me understand is that Jesus never calls me to live that great commission to go and make disciples by sacrificing the great commandment. So the great commission, he doesn't call me to sacrifice the great commandment to do, do that. He calls me to do the great commandment 
in doing the Great Commission. And the Great Commandment is this. So he does say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But he says, do it by doing this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do both of those things. Fulfill the Great Commission by living out the Great Commandment. So there's a couple things that strikes me about this that I will, that I'm wrestling with. And one is, what would it look like for me to understand the compassion of God more? Just like the challenge of the Pharisees, the invitation that I desire compassion and not sacrifice. What would that look like to live that? That would be worth spending some time reflecting on for you guys too, is what would it look like for you to be compassionate people that love people, even the worst of the worst, like Jesus loves them? And sometimes I do it really well, and sometimes I don't. And I'm reminded that just like he extends this grace to Matthew, he, accept, he extends the same grace to the Pharisee. Isn't our God amazing? I'll close with some prayer here. <clears throat> Father, your love's amazing. Your grace is amazing, and we need it every moment of every day. I pray that more and more we as your church would rise up and move towards the lost people in the world, not in judgment, making them feel worse about themselves than they already do oftentimes, but we move to them with compassion and mercy and love and friendship, and we serve them, and we're generous with them, and we're patient with them just like you are, Jesus. Help us to be to our neighbors who need, who are, who are so lost and far from you at times. Help us to move towards them like you move towards Matthew and you move towards us. We need you to do it, Holy Spirit. We trust you and lay our lives down for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing the last song together and give us clean hands. clean hands 
Thank you. 